0: Welcome to Dig In, the podcast brought to you by Dig Insights. Every week, we interview founders, marketers, and researchers from innovative brands to learn how they're approaching their role and their category in a clever way. Welcome back to this week's episode of Dig In. We've got our second founder's edition of the podcast. So I'm joined by Ian, Michael, Dominic, and Paul. Oh my gosh, how am I going to ask this? How is everyone doing? Paul, you start.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I've got new headphones, so I might sound okay, but I, kind of look, I look different. So um, I don't know. It's a Friday, and we're expecting 30 centimeters of snow later, so I'm, I'm as good as can be.
0: I mean, you do look pretty snazzy in the headphones, to be fair. Um, you look uh, like well, a gamer.
1: I wore a cardigan to make it even look like more dressy, though. <laughs> I'm the
2: only one, the only one in the uniform,
0: I'll- Dom's I'm wearing our, my, our I'm merch. Wearing my dress sweatshirt
3: merch.
1: So. You're wearing your what? My sh-
3: dress sweatshirt.
1: Dress sweatshirt. Okay.
0: Isn't that just like a wool sweater? No, uh, it's a sweatshirt. Oh.
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> of course it is. Is, the, <laughs> it is. the Michael Edwards wardrobe. It just has a totally different classification. <laughs> but
0: it is what's a the difference? This sweatshirt made it a wool. Uh, is it like uh, the? Is it like the British like jumper? Like it's a jumper. It's not a sweater. But, uh, but, a,
4: but a dress jumper. <laughs> Since this is audio only, I'm just going to go ahead and say I'm dressed like a cowboy.
0: Well, we'll try and cut Ian out of the video footage. Well, no.
1: because... it, it, when, he, when he says he's dressed as a cowboy, it just means he's wearing chaps. He still has a dress right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my uh, god, what well, an amazing... <laughs>
0: Yeah. Amazing segue into our topic for today. <laughs> oh God, sorry. Let me try and stop laughing. Um, I'll leave everybody yeah, <laughs> with
1: that visual.
0: <laughs> Perfect. And moving swiftly along, um, we're we're really excited to talk about data storytelling today. It's something that we've been thinking about a lot internally. It's something that we're hearing about a lot when we go to conferences. In terms of, you know, what is it? How can we make it better? What are our clients looking for? So I wanted to get uh, these folks together to chat about it. Um, and quite possibly the the biggest question that we need to dive into first is, you know, why does it even matter or why is it so important? Why are so many people talking about this? Michael, what do you think?
3: Yeah, throwing it straight over to me. Um, I think what I'd say is that the reason it matters is we need data that can move seamlessly through organizations. And different people with different people with different organizations have different orientations to data. And those of you who are sort of older like me might remember the film A Beautiful Mind where he could like see all these numbers, see all this data, and he would just identify the patterns within it. Um, But most people can't do that. So I think that's where data storytelling and data visualization really helps is because a lot of the magic in data is the patterns that underlie it. Um, so it's not the ones and zeros, it's finding the patterns underneath the ones and the zeros. Um, and I think that data visualization and data storytelling helps a broader audience to identify those patterns and to understand the data, to internalize it. And it's only once you've internalized it, you can actually then start to translate it into strategy. Like if you don't understand it, if you don't really get it, then at, at the very best, you might do something very superficially. But if you've really understood and really internalized it, then you can start thinking about it in interesting ways, start manipulating it in your mind, start translating it into, okay, what might we do with this? So I think I think that's why it's really important.
0: It's a really good answer. So basically, it's about, yeah.
2: yeah. I um, never thought of that. <laughs> I thought
3: it was so-so.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, the thing is, he's telling a story right now with his dress sweatshirt. So Absolutely. Right
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but so what you're saying is the reason it's so important is because of what comes out of it. Like, as in like what it's able to do within an organization. So it matters because you need to make sure the story is clear and compelling enough for it to be able to be actioned.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And again, to, to move through an organization and be relevant to people with different levels of data right. com- or data orientation. I don't know if
0: that's a correct term. <laughs> <laughs> and you want to want to debate Michael on this? Anyone have a different uh, oh, perspective? Yeah, I, think, I
2: think
3: we've all learned to try
1: to debate Michael on something. It's uh, we don't have time for, for the podcast for that. But does anyone I, I, have
0: three hours?
1: I got <laughs> I think it just uh just to kinda of build on what he's saying, I think um because people have so much access to so much data now and have to go and parse through it so quickly, especially what Michael's saying in terms of different stakeholders in an organization, being able to tell that story of what's relevant to that stakeholder quickly so that they can understand what the key point is and move and make decisions faster. I think it's just the other element of, of data visualization and data storytelling that we find ourselves challenged with. How can we make the story simple and easy to understand so that people can make quicker decisions?
0: I mean, do we feel like it's change, Like the level of importance of data storytelling has changed in the last like decade or so? Um, and if yes, why do we think that? I'm using we in a weird way, but why do you guys think that?
4: I think it's changed because it's become become more important for for the, the last point that Paul just made, which is that, you know, 20 years ago, if you were doing this job and you'd go in with like a 300 page deck, that every page was just basically a data table with the four main groups that they worried about or the four concepts as columns or something like that, that might be the only presentation that they looked at that week that was that dense and frankly, that boring. And now they're doing that every day. And so Mm. they just, they're not, they don't have the patience for it anymore or the, they don't want to look through that. They want 10 pages, 10 to 30 pages max that tells the story so they can figure out what the takeaways are quickly, but they still want enough data in there that they trust the recommendations you're making. And so that's, I think that's the trade-off. And I think it's because there's just too much. No one has patience for a hundred page, or a 200-page, um, two-hour meeting of tables.
3: Yeah. 100%. I, I could sort of, I'm old enough that I can uh, weigh in with a, a sort of a timeline perspective here. So I worked at Kraft in the late 90s, and when I was there, my boss quit, and she was throwing away reports that she'd received from Nielsen, which were leather-bound and gold-edged.
0: No. That's how long
3: it took to produce their reports and how special those reports were and and they released them once a quarter so you know you got your report and it was all bound in leather and you opened, you actually read it uh and yeah people are just like inundated now like you know you can't launch linkedin without getting 20 inquiries from different people uh yeah people just don't have the mental capacity now because we're overwhelmed with information
1: good now so it explains your library of leather bound books with gold edging now now i get yes. where they came from <laughs>
3: No, it was, I mean even then they weren't doing that then. It was like wow, look at this. But you know, in the 80s, that's that's what Nielsen did, and this wasn't a thousand years ago.
0: It's quite amazing. So I talked to some people who thought, you know, the actual visualization piece was far more interesting, and we should integrate designers into each sort of research um, team so that there was access to someone who really understood how to make the insights be impactful. And then I talked to other people who were like, no, 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 it doesn't really matter. As long as you have a clear story um, and you're able to explain that in whatever medium you do, then that's really the thing that matters. And I'm sure that the truth is is somewhere in the middle there. Do you think, do you have any opinion about that? Like, what do you think a good data story looks like? And does it, does your opinion fall more on the data visualization side or more on, you know, establishing a really good story side?
2: I think it's a combination of the two, but I think the story itself is kind of table stakes. Like you need to have a good story because if you don't have a good story and then you make it look great, well then what's what's the point of that? Fair point. And the reality is in these days, I mean, a lot of our clients want things turned around so quickly that making it look beautiful, there just might not be time for that. So yeah. I think you need to start with a clear and concise story. Um, and then if you have the opportunity to, to bring it to life, Absolutely. Like whether that's some really slick looking infographic or like a a micro website or, um, you know, like some some video testimonials from customers or stakeholders like you think that can bring it to life but i'm laughing yeah. because,
1: I'm laughing because Tom, i think back to your reports about like you were like the clip art captain you know there would be like a starburst associated with the, the, the key <laughs> data point you wanted people to focus on it was like if we had if we had access to just clip arts like it would be don would like was the
2: master of clip art I admit, like, when I open a report I wrote, like, 10 years ago, I just cringe. It's like, like some people cringe at the clothes they wore. I, I cringe at <laughs> reports it I wrote. No. But to answer your question, I think it's the story is the most important part. And then if you have the time and the resources to really make bring it to life visually, great. But it shouldn't be the other way around. Because if it's just, you know, like, if it's the, the data's wrong, or you're making the wrong conclusions recommendations, I I mean, that's even worse if it looks good because then people might actually take your bad advice.
0: Mm. No, that's a very fair point. Like, obviously, you need to make sure that it's accurate.
4: Yeah, I think the challenge for our our industry specifically, though, is like if you look at uh, management consulting companies like the McKinsey's and the Bain's and stuff, when they get into clients, they go through multiple iterations And so they have the ability to land on a story that the client agrees to, and then they have the extra time to build that out into really nice visualizations where our projects tend to be Turner faster turnaround. So if you're, you have to land on a story, you may not have even gotten agreement or uh, the client may not even have fully agreed to that story. And now you've got to uh, decide to put in uh, another layer of work, to get the visualizations right. And that's where, you know, when Dom says the time, that's the challenge because uh, it you can, if you're good at this job, I think you can relatively quickly land on a story. Um, but you may not have the time to do like a, a, an infographic or something like that. That's challenging. And you, you don't want to get to the infographic until you know, that's the right story. And sometimes you need the client to tell you, yes, I agree. That's the right story. or not. So that's the challenge. But obviously if you can, boil something down to an infographic, it's better.
3: Not to be too salesy, but one, one thing that, that helps, and we specifically are doing this, is things like dashboarding. Like dashboarding that includes visualization as opposed to dashboarding that just data tables. So the things like the idea map within Upside, um, those sorts of things, the quadrant chart within Upside, really help to create some visualizations. And then I agree with Dom, you need that story but although those aren't custom visualizations, they are still data visualization that does really help to do a quick sort of um, database story.
0: I mean, on that note, is there anything else that we're doing differently internally in terms of trying to effectively tell that story? Um, I'm just thinking of like any of the other tech um, that, we've, that we're have that we working on or any of the work that Joel's team is doing, like anything that we do somewhat differently.
4: I think we always come up with great visualizations for multivariate analysis because multivariate analysis is one of the hardest things to explain. Like you can look at a set of data tables and you can say, this is the important finding and this is the important difference, statistically difference between groups. Uh, And I'm going to say those two things on a slide. Uh, But when it comes to data visualization around uh, multivariate analysis, it's a lot more challenging. Like how do you show in two dimensions something like an MDS map or a network map, you know, and that's why, so we're pretty careful about the methodology that we choose. It can visualize data, which is exactly why we chose network map over say MDS. Um, and, you know, that comes really also really challenging when you start looking at model data and you want to say something like uh, if you change the price this much, how do you, how do you visualize the price elasticity? You've got to come up with charts that show, As you vary price, how does share of choice uh, change if you keep all other variables static? Yeah, I think we do that really, really well. I think that's one of the things Dig does best is visualizing complicated analysis, complicated data visual, uh, multivariate analysis, but even just complicated modeled data.
1: Yeah, I, I, I,
4: I think I would totally agree. I think where we have seen an evolution
1: of data visualization and telling that story is it's gone from you know what Michael has mentioned in terms of those massive books of just data to like just charting basic charting and uh, and I think you know we went from charting to infographic let's like see what we can do and make something that's visual and and try to pull out the key points that we wanted to highlight to now it's much more dashboarding um, the, the difference though, I think, between what we're what we're trying to do and what we've seen, I'd say else in the market with dashboarding is it's still taking the dashboards very interesting because other place uh, companies that try to do it well, um, I, I see fail in terms of their approach. They, they take data and then just create charts uh, following it. So it's just a visualization of the data in the chart format, but now it's online. Whereas the stuff that we're trying to create from our dashboards is is analytical in its, in, its pre, in its presentation. So we are taking that information, we are analyzing and then displaying it in a way that provides insight. And that's a, I think a huge difference between how you approach data visualization and storytelling using technology is, are you just displaying the information in just a more technology-advanced way, or are you taking it, interpreting it, and feeding it back in a way that people can easily understand? And that's, I think, the difference of where we try to focus.
0: Yeah, that's actually really interesting. I was talking to one of our clients recently about how they love the fact that with a lot of our tools, they can actually go in and like almost find the story themselves. They know their business best. They know the context. So it's quite easy for them to sort of go in like virtual market, for example, go in and really get a sense of of what the, the story would look like. Are we seeing maybe Dom's the best person to ask, like, are are we seeing more clients open to that now sort of uncovering the story on their own? Or would you say people sort of want that final, whether it's like a PDF deliverable um, uh, video and infographic
2: collaboratively, other ones, they they're almost happy with it data being the deliverable because they want to do it themselves. But I think that collaborative approach is 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 best. I mean, as much as we like to think we have really strong partnerships with our clients, which we do, we still don't know their business as well as they do. We still don't know what sort of landmines are waiting in the organization that you can't say this or you must say that. And so they know that. So ultimately they have to have some you know, final ownership of that. But I think you know, when we have these long-standing relationships, we can really work in partnership with them. I think that's when we do our best work. I, I think
1: even that's, even that's an interesting and it's evolving because I think what clients are relying on are, is some sort of also interpretation and expertise in what you're doing that can feed it back to the client. Like you can, you can try to visualize the data as best as possible. You can try to say, this is what it's Kind of you know meaning if you're just looking at it, but having somebody else explain it and telling you this is where the story is going this is what that you can think about in terms of the strategy this is maybe how you can use this information action against it is the is the compelling part that you tend to get with somebody actually puts it together delivers a report, actually gives it to the client, takes them through that thinking. And that's the one piece that's kind of missing. But it's also interesting because it's also the element where AI is starting to really help to inform. And so there's going to be an interesting balance about how much that can help with some interpretation of the data visualization and the storytelling, at least getting you part of the way there, leveraging more technology so that you're not always having to rely on a report generated uh, information around the actual consultant providing that expertise.
4: I mean, a lot of other, a lot of people tried to tackle that, the missing part of PowerPoint, which is that it's not dynamic. So I don't even remember what it used to be called. There used to be this other presentation Prezi. Prezi. Yeah, Prezi, yes. Prezi tried to make things more dynamic so that you would see data moving. But the problem was it was just way too hard to use. No you know, and way too hard to share. It had a bunch of barriers to usage. Um, but there is something v- in intrinsically powerful about dashboards, which is that they're dynamic. Watching the data shift in real time is a lot more informative than just showing a, power, a, a static PowerPoint slide, even if you add some you know, animations, which tend to be relatively lame. Having the dynamic change and shift in data in real time is a lot more powerful in terms of uncovering those, those insights. The problem is how do you share that? in a meaningful way. And that sure. I think that's been the barrier to dashboard approaches because I just want to take one slide from a presentation and send it out, but then you lose that. So I think that's kind of like the that missing leap between dashboard and, and static PowerPoint. Even though there's so much power to dashboards, they're hard to share. And so that, mm-hmm. I think that's what we have to kind of tackle as an industry because the story is better if it's dynamic. I was talking to one of our
3: clients a while back who uses our dashboards as more as a DIY sort of uh, situation. And she used a really interesting term. She said, it it lets us play with the data. And I thought that was really cool because if you're in a play mindset, like you can change it to go, what do men think? What do women think? And you dynamically see it changing what older people think, younger people think. It it changes your mindset and the way that you're processing that information because you're now much more open. You're thinking much more creatively. And I thought that was a really interesting way to frame it.
1: I also think dress dress, sweatshirts are very playful, Michael. Just
0: Oh my gosh. Paul's got it out for you right now. I love the dress. <laughs> I love
1: the dress sweatshirt. It's a, it's a new classification, new territory. I'm
3: a fashion leader, a thought leader. In two weeks you're gonna have a dress sweatshirt.
4: I don't doubt it.
0: Are we are we branding it dress sweatshirt?
4: <laughs> He's created his new category. He tried he tried to sell me on the dress shorts a year ago and I just couldn't get behind it.
0: So like no dress shorts in winter. Yeah. <laughs> Ideal. <laughs> Um, no, I really like that point, Michael, um, around play. I think that's sort of what I've been struggling with as someone who doesn't, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a researcher. Um, I've learned so much working with the team here. But when I think about dashboards, and to your point, Ian, how dynamic they are, I've always struggled with this idea of like, how are how is sort of the the dashboarding piece going to replicate or i guess work with this idea of having like one holistic story that's super clear because it is dynamic and that's the 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 play of it that's the fun of it
1: and i think that goes back to why it's like the fact that we ourselves have have created the technology is a different spin on what you might see in the market like we have done this job for a a long time. We do know how to interpret information and then what actually would be interesting to see as opposed to, you know, so when you say I like to play with the data, so do we. And like the fact that we like to play with the data is also a reason why we've created tools that enable that to happen in, in a meaningful way it's not just i'm just going to put a, sil- a simple filter on it and see it. there's actual interpretation there's analytics behind it because we have done that we've done we've all done that we've all played with the data to try to figure out what that story should be and critically look at that information and pick out those nuggets that are the most important and we've, we've taken that knowledge and that expertise and translated to how we actually build the technology which i think for us is a, is a pretty distinct Feature for you know what we do versus some other companies.
4: Well, yeah, because I I think a lot of
1: other. Be waving. Dom's waving.
2: I'm not. I I want to say something. I was going to do like I didn't want to be rude, but jump in. Jump in. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's it's building on this idea of like playing with the data and being curious. I think in our last podcast we were talking about like what traits make for good research, and like an innate curiosity and being creative was part of it. And I think like if you were to give like ask someone new to this job to write a report and give them no guidance. I think the easiest default thing that people do is they basically write a PowerPoint that mirrors the questionnaire and they just start with question one, question two, question three, and they make a chart for each one. And that's actually like probably the worst way to tell a story because it's, you're not going to end up with it. And I think the ability to understand that, okay, this half the data you collect is probably not even relevant to the final story, but you need to grab a bit from here, a bit from here and a bit from here and pull it together. That's, that ability to be creative and play with the data and i think it doesn't even i think when you get a really great story it goes beyond just like the survey instrument or the focus groups that you're doing right there you can bring in other learning so you can refer back to another piece of research you might have done for the client six months before or you draw upon some secondary research that you you've done either as like a knowledge knowledge harvest up front or you've done it in parallel to this so to really tell these great stories it's it is that idea of your your these are all just ingredients to put together a great dish. I don't know if that analogy works, but I'm hungry, so
4: or a great piece of clip art, a great piece of clip art.
2: <laughs> well, that, yeah. that's what makes it sing. But yeah,
4: yeah.
3: Ian, were you going <laughs> to say there's something? A bunch of consultancy called DataPlay. I like that
4: name. <laughs> all I was going to say is I think there's an interesting balance. Like if we look at technology, because if you look at a lot, like for instance, we use HubSpot. I'm not I'm not going to denigrate HubSpot, but I'm just going to use it as an example of. <laughs> You go in and you build your own charts and the building of those charts can be quite challenging to actually put together because, you know, the different versions and stuff. And then now you're relying on the end user to know how they want to visualize the data, which I think is almost a step too far for most users, particularly if it's ResTech. So Mm -hmm. what we've done in Upside is we've determined the preset visualizations and you can play with them to see how the data moves under different scenarios. But that's different than them having to create the chart in the first place. And I think that's the value that we bring as a research company who built ResTech versus a tech company. Because a tech company just thinks, oh, this data is going to have to be visualized. I don't know how to visualize it. So I'll let the user have complete autonomy on how they now want to visualize that data. But that's a step too far. Nobody wants to do that, which is why they like PowerPoint. Because they don't have to think. It's already... We've determined how the story works and we've delivered it to them. And that's storytelling to make dashboards that give you that same value is very difficult. You've got to spend a lot of time thinking about what's the right visualization for this type of data that will move in a meaningful way when they start playing with things like filters or when they start adding or subtracting products from our market simulator. That's, I think that's a huge point of difference in what we built versus what other people have built. And I think it's because we're researchers and we know about storytelling,
1: you know, going back to even just the conferences that we attended, I think the, the, the technology that has been kind of created or influenced by people who have been in the industry for a long time, you can really tell stands out versus ones that don't. So I look at like even qualitative uh, technology, like with discuss or canvas cans or, um, even Voxbot me still in terms of just how it's created, um, at least the the way it's been thought out and how it could be used, you could tell there was a lot of influence, either internal or external on how that sh- information should be created, shared, disseminated. And uh, uh, you know, from all that, even though stuff that we do is fantastic, I do see others as being really cool in, in the way that yeah, you can tell there was a lot of influence from people that have been around that industry for a while.
3: Mm. Another one that's sort of interesting to me is Loom, where it allows you to overlay your voice, your tech, sorry, your your voice, your perspective, while showing something at the same time. I think that's a lot of the challenge, say, with dashboards specifically, is I receive the dashboard, but I sort of have to look through it and figure things out myself. And that's a bit of a, a mental challenge where Loom, it's really good in that, you know, you can record yourself showing something and then also talking through it. So it becomes a little bit more of a an all-in-one experience. So I think that's an opportunity probably for any dashboard is the ability to overlay a video recording of you talking through the implications. I don't think it
4: exists. New feature
0: cool. idea from yeah, Michael. Really cool. Well,
4: I will give kudos to like some of the research agencies that are also, like some of them are kind of somewhere between being a research agency and being an ad agency. Like, like let's say Edelman or somebody like that. Um, where I think they do a really great job of doing PowerPoint-based storytelling. Mm. And I think I think some companies have really pulled yeah. ahead there because they bring the creative folks in on the presentation creation, and they'll do a bunch of stuff like um, infographics and stuff like as a sort of a standard deliverable. And so I think some companies have done that really, really well. I don't on the tech side. I've been sort of generally less. Less impressed. I I find a lot of on the tech side. I I think a lot of stuff in res tech right now looks like, you know, looks like Dom's circa nineteen ninety clip art stuff. Like it's like, I know. I'm just going to keep on attacking Dom. That's all. That's all it's about.
0: Well, Paul's attacking Michael, so Ian's got to attack Dom. I'm going to stay out of it.
3: It's not even as good as Dom's clip art because it's just the data without the clip art. The clip art was what brought it. This is what happens when Ian wears
1: his chaps. He gets all feisty. This is what happens. I do. I get feisty.
4: (laughs) No. Because he
1: would
2: this way. He's just got a lot of problems because he's remote. (laughs) That's true. That's true.
0: Yeah, I was saying before we jumped on that. We rec- we're recording on a Friday afternoon, which, like, everyone's, like, a little loopy on a Friday afternoon. Um, it's a good energy. I'm I'm conscious of time, so I, I want to ask one final question before we, before we leave. Um, we haven't touched too much on this idea of what happens, you know, after the story's been delivered and you're disseminating the information within a client organization or if you're on the client side, you're sharing it with your stakeholders. Um, have you guys seen or have we done anything that you think is... Um, really useful from that perspective of like getting other people within the business to internalize the information or the insights or the story itself um, any examples that you'd want to you'd want to point to
1: we talk a lot about visualization but we don't talk about how you get to the story and i think one of the key things around getting to the story is give, enabling people to understand how to pick up that right information understand business strategy understand what might what might be the right okay. questions oh, that yeah. you should be answering and so a lot of the things that we've been doing over the last couple of years around you know a business acumen and strategy course for all of our employees or just recently we did Thank a, you. a okay, creative yeah. problem solving workshop for the employees are things that how do we enable our people to think in a way that's more critical of the information and be able to pull out those pieces so that they can create a nice visual that's also meaningful so otherwise you get a visual and it's not necessarily meaningful but you need to tell that story and then make that story sing oh. i
4: thought you would have attacked me on that one for sure that was I me telling, still use was it I, to be honest, I
1: still use it yeah. Yeah. Just recap. Ian yeah. you know, had this like amazing. Uh, it was all animation in PowerPoint that talked about the evolution of the industry, and it was all these mountains of uh, different types of companies from I traditional and market research all the way to strategic consultancies and everything in between, and how the industry evolved with these mountains that had moved uh, across the page. It was honestly, it was beautiful. I just don't know how long that took you. I feel like that took you a really long time.
2: Oh. <laughs> I thought we went on vacation for three weeks. He was just long. working on that PowerPoint. <laughs> way <laughs> too long. Just way that one too long slide. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: But, but getting back to Megan's question around like how does how does information move through an organization, I think Ian's Mountains presentation is actually a good example because what you need is a super, super simple story. And the further it'll move within an organization, the simpler it is. If it's something that people can summarize in a sentence, two sentences, it can move through an organization. If it's something where you need a 10-minute conversation, it's really limited how far it can go. Um, so I think that's the thing too. It's like people need to be able to boil it down to its absolute essence in order for that information to become more mobile within an organization. Yeah, but
1: that, and that's also what we have to do as an organization ourselves is is be able to provide those, what's the essence, which I think Dom has done a great job of implementing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, <Paul.
0: laughs> Awesome guys. Well, thank you so much for joining me this month. Um, we'll be back. We'll be back next month. Take care. Thanks, Megan. Thanks for tuning in this week. Find us on LinkedIn at Dig Insights and don't forget to hit subscribe for a weekly dose of fresh content.